Hello Hello there. there. Welcome back to, um, we haven't quite decided if this is going to be just a regular episode or a segment of an episode, uh, but we're back on In a Galaxy. Uh, We're talking about um, Ahsoka's trial, um, specifically in Season 5. Welcome back to Star Wars In a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And um, we have a very special guest. Um, we This arc gets into a lot of uh, dealings with the law and how Ahsoka and other characters may obey or, in some cases, disobey the law. Um, and we decided to bring in a real-world expert on this. We have brought in um, real-world lawyer and also massive Star Wars fan, Thomas Harper. Um, how are you? Uh, also, Star Wars movie trivia showdown champion of the world, I might say, Thomas Harper. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm I'm good. Uh, expert is a strong term to describe me. Um, dabbling fan would be better, and then the the champion thing still doesn't sound quite real. So, but thank you. It's it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Um, so we got a, a bunch of legal aspects of this to ask to Thomas. But um, before we do, I did want to get, we often like to get a little background of our guests before they come on our show. Um, so how did you get into Star Wars? Um, what were your first experiences with the saga? Oh, man. So I grew up primarily in the 90s. So it was like dead space for Star Wars. Like it, it is so weird to live in this time now where it's hard to just keep up with all the content that's coming out. But uh, when I first got into it, I was six or seven. My dad showed me like a bootlegged VHS tape that he had recorded off of. Let's see, this was a new hope and a new hope was only shown on Fox. So it was like Fox Kate, like just the normal Fox station. Uh, So there's commercials and everything. I thought that that was just part of the movie. And I just sat down in front of the VHS and uh, just was completely enthralled. Our tiny little, and didn't have flat screens at the time, but like our tiny little tube TV, probably like no bigger than 20 inches, something that you wouldn't even see in like a dentist office these days, so small. And uh, I was just absolutely sucked in from the moment uh, the, the Star Destroyer and the Tana V4 come across the screen. When Vader steps aboard the ship for the first time, I was locked in and and hooked immediately and the tough thing was that i was too young for some of the actual new content that was coming out then was just novels i mean you had the the zon novels that was really about it they relaunched the toy series in 95 and that like turbocharged me but nobody had any idea that lucas was thinking about the prequels and stuff so i my whole world existed in those three movies on vhs tapes for you know a few years and then the toys and then the special editions came out in 97 when i was 12 and that i mean that was like pouring kerosene all over the fire so <laughs> it, it just happened to hit at the right time my dad was an art teacher uh in in high uh, a high school art teacher for gosh the, the my entire life and so he had a small little uh one of our rooms in the house was just a small art studio so it was just like toys all over the place he had like ships hanging and stuff and I would just sit in there and like, uh, you know, he had comics and, you know, you name it, he had it in there. And, and I would just yeah. kind of sit in there as he worked and, and consume this stuff uh, like old Al Williamson, Star Wars comics and stuff. And yeah, it, it was I, it was like fishing with dynamite in a way for the Star Wars franchise for somebody like me. But yeah, uh, so it was it was a fun ride. And then the prequels hit at a perfect time, too. Yeah, such a different such a different time from 
from from the modern day experience for a Star Wars fan. I mean, being the age that I am, and I think Eli, you probably have a similar experience. I just was barely kind of in fourth, fifth grade. I was just barely kind of becoming really aware of the extent of Star Wars and how much there was. I just had that awareness right before the Disney, the Disney acquisition. And then, you know, boom, obviously everything changed. And now it's just a deli. Can we switch places and you just like, you be me and you could take care of all my responsibilities and I get to experience (laughs) Star Wars from your perspective? Because that's awesome. I, uh, I would kill to be in that position. It's so crazy to me. I cannot keep up these days. (laughs) It's so crazy to me, um, that there was a time not really that long ago when we were, um, talking about, Ooh, when's the next star Wars thing going to become out coming out. And then there was a point, I think it was two years ago where we were like, when solo was releasing, um, eight, uh, six months from the last Jedi, where we were like, is this too much star Wars for the market (laughs) to handle? And I'm like, (laughs) What a charmed life we all live. And I'm like, wait, what? How did we get here? Disney's messing it up. Like four years ago, we didn't have anything, and now we're getting too much of it? Yeah. Yeah. I I distinctly remember, sorry, my my first celebration was uh, Celebration 5 in 2010, and the, so you had the Clone Wars coming out, so you did have a panel that was the, the, sneak peek at the season premiere of the clone wars the biggest thing that was what season three i think yeah season three they revealed the uh the clip from uh the episode where delta squad very briefly escorts back uh the dead bodies of uh nox and halsey uh the the jedi they get killed by savage press and the it just like the the roof blew off you would think that a new star wars movie had been released because at that point in time, they had only existed in the Republic, uh, Republic Commando video game and, and novel. But other than that, the only new thing that was uh, like big in the Star Wars universe was Lucas did a panel himself, or he he was the the key figure. They had the blue uh, the the upcoming Blu-ray release for the first time ever. They were bringing it out, and they were putting uh, deleted scenes that had never been released before to the public. And so they they aired the deleted scene where. Um, in Return of the Jedi, you're supposed to see Luke completing his lightsaber and igniting it for the first time in the cave. So they played that, and it was as if, again, they were showing their trailer for a brand new Star Wars movie. That was it. The rest of the con was just like like reflections on old content, just different like deep dives into stuff. And uh, and I remember thinking like, man, this is as good as it gets. This is awesome. Uh, you know, I can't wait till August when the Clone Wars starts up again. It'll be good to have that back in my life. And then, you know, little did I know, I was actually in Afghanistan when they announced I was deployed uh, in the army and they announced the Disney release. And like the, <laughs> we're in the middle of a war and like all anybody wanted to talk to me about was like not my legal opinion on anything, but like my opinion on the Disney takeover. And I was like, <laughs> how the heck should I know what they're going to do with it? I don't know. They'll get their investment back. I suppose that's an answer. But yeah, so they, they sure did <laughs> three sequel trilogy movies later just judging on box office did they get their investment back i wonder um yeah i it's crazy to me to think about like and and i was just thinking about the other day i'm like when's book of boba coming out that's december when's our last star wars thing that was october with visions how am i gonna wait this long and i'm like eli you waited a year and a half from solo to rise of skywalker with nothing else in there I mean, actually, there was other stuff in there. I'm trying to remember right. exactly, but I'm like, 
yeah, I don't know how I did that. And now I'm just imagining like, oh, a new season of the Clone Wars is coming out and we're seeing the Republic Commandos come back and we're going to see rip off like uh, drugstore Darth Maul. Um, I I think that's a term Jacob coined, not drugstore Darth Maul. I, I did that here, but um, rip off Darth Maul is definitely what Jacob called Savage Press on a recent episode of ours. Um, that's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> um, and we were like, oh my God, this is Star Wars at its peak. Um, yeah, I want to uh, extend, and you've gotten into this a little bit, but um, how do you, um, of course, we know you from the Leo Weeks, the Joint mm-hmm. Geeks, all of the stuff you do um, analyzing Star Wars from a military and a law perspective. How do you get into that? How do you get into that stuff? Oh, also, That's a great um, question. Sorry, sorry. No, how, no. how do you also get into, I know you're a big, you were at least until this year, a big participant in the Dragon Con trivia contests and also in the movie trivia showdown where you're now the Star Wars champion. How do you get into all the trivia stuff as well? Um, I hit my head really badly and got a brain injury and can't make good decisions. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that probably would explain it. It's probably diagnosable. I feel like most Star Wars fans, like most Star Wars mega fans, could probably go to a doctor and get diagnosed with something uh, to yeah. explain all of it. But yes. uh, no, the um, the the podcasting stuff is funny because I. So it, it kind of tracks along with my career on active duty in the army. I, I was a military, have been a military attorney for about 10 years now. And I was on active duty. And, and one of my favorite jobs on active duty was uh, what I what I do nine to five now for the Red Cross, which is involved in um, basically the law of armed conflict, the law of warfare. And so the laws that govern uh, war, basically. And uh, I practiced that. That's what I did in Afghanistan. I advised on combat operations. And then when I got back, I switched jobs. Uh, when I got back to the States, was doing something different, but I still taught that. So I, I knew commanders. I would go in and teach young soldiers these rules, get them ready to, to deploy and make good decisions, the whole nine yards. The, I always had that as a part of my life. And then we moved bases. I lost all those connections. I didn't know anybody at the new base. And so I, I was really missing teaching this stuff and it had nothing. I wasn't really bringing Star Wars into the picture, but I'm like at work one day and a buddy of mine uh, who is out in California texts me and he was like, hey, I just got done with this like convention out there. Have you heard of the legal geeks? Like I went to one of their panels and they were analyzing like legal issues in Batman. It seems like it's right up your alley. I was like, I have not. And so I fell down the rabbit hole, was like reading all their blog posts and um i think it was the josh gill and the one of the co-founders um had written about the legal ownership of the millennium falcon like tracing it all the way down the line to um at that point to the force awakens and i was like how can i get involved in this so i just i wrote a full pitch like a full treatment for an article on a, a podcast and like like an episode and sent it to him about the death star and he was like, I was expecting like a back and forth and stuff. And I just get like a, a quick email like, hey, man, this sounds awesome. Like you're a Star Wars fan. Like, here's my number. Call me and like, we'll talk. And Josh has been one of my closest friends ever since. That was like 2016. So it's been a minute. Wow. And um, yeah, I just kind of net like nested in and became their, you know, Star- Josh knows a ton about Star Wars, but he's got to cover a ton of other stuff too, Marvel and and you know, create content across the board there. But I was able to fill a, um, a nice little gap there uh, and, and be like the Star Wars guy. So if all else fails, Thomas can can take care of covering it. 
um and then the the other so like other stuff just kind of branched out from there like i'm sure you guys had the same experience with the show you meet people like you make connections uh you you know you guest on some other show or you get connected and it just kind of you build your own little spider web network and that's how the the joint geeks got started i had i presented um for for the naval academy on uh, on a star wars and law issue and a few of us got together and we're like this is fun. Why do we only do this once a year or twice a year? Why don't we start a podcast? Like that can't be that much work, can it? <laughs> and then here we are. So it's like it, I feel like it's the story of every podcast or whatever. Like you, your your eyes and your intent are like way way bigger than and and than, than what the job actually is. And so you bite off way more than you can chew. And like here we all are. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, a little story. I scheduled four guest um, episodes uh, four weeks in a row uh, last November, and I think both Jacob and I hated me for the next month and a half. <laughs> uh, so, I totally understand how that is biting off a little more than you can chew. Yeah. This will be great. Wait, what did I do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the trivia stuff was like, uh, I had... I had gone to Dragon Con for the first time in 2009 and had no, I had only been to like very, very small, like one day type comic shows in North Carolina where I'm from, like tiny, like in a hotel conference room, <laughs> like tiny. And that was fun, but it's not Dragon Con. Dragon Con's like celebration size. It's like 80,000 people packed into downtown Atlanta. Like it's, it's the best show other than celebration that's out there. Um, but I, I got thrown into that. A buddy of mine in law school invited me, and and I went and just like had a blast. I, you know, just it, the, it it flew by, and I was immediately hooked. Uh, because I joined the army kind of shortly afterward, I had a gap, and so I went back in 2013 after I got back from Afghanistan. And I saw they had rebooted. They had a Star Wars trivia contest originally, but it was like very, it was like bar trivia kind of, not really that serious. Um, you know, just kind of high fives as as you know for the for the winner or whatever. But at some point in in that gap, it got rebooted by the guy that currently runs it, and it got really really hard. And I remember uh, I was with at the time she was my girlfriend, not my wife, but we're there. And I was like, I'm going to go take this qualifier. How hard could it be? Like, I know a lot about star Wars. Come on. We took it at the time. It was all EU material included in it. Cause the reboot had not happened. And I got, I think I got like 11, right. And I walked out of there like bruised, battered my pride. I was like, I, we went and got a drink. I was like, I, do I not know star Wars? Like I've, I've read books and I've watched the movies, but, this quiz would say that I don't know anything. And so I was like, I kind of put my, put it out of my mind. I was like, there's no way I'm going to go back and like read all those books and do the work necessary. But when the reset happened and they announced that they were just going to limit the, the, the trivia to just Canon, I said, sort of like Alex, maybe this is my opportunity. And so I dove in in 2015 and got second place. I like missed on like completing part of the Jedi code I remember all my losing misses. Um, they're just permanently stuck in my brain. Um, and then the next two years, I was lucky enough to, to win back to back. But it's just been fun. It's a small sort of family that plays. I mean, like, you've got to be insane to play Star Wars trivia in any context. But um, especially there, because it's just, if you've 
taken the online quiz that they've released publicly the last two years or you've seen it in person it's um it's something else the schmodown has gotten to that level on some of the questions that they ask but uh it's i mean in 2020 just for example we had an entire round of questions on the thrawn book that had released a week prior and i remember telling my wife we were on vacation that week and i remember telling her on monday i was like i have to find this book like he's gonna ask questions she was like he's not that cruel he's not gonna ask questions that's crazy the book the book releases tomorrow i was like i know but alex gets an advanced copy several people that compete get advanced copies because they write reviews i'm not in that boat i'm gonna be and she was like you're crazy uh and i searched around all these like we're the tiny beach in delaware and they're like of course everybody's like a star wars book no we don't have that please leave and uh and yeah. so of course there's a round in it and i was just like you could probably see on my face like of course i predicted yeah. this but uh yeah the schmodown um just is an offshot of that but it's it's been fun a lot of work but a lot of fun so far absolutely um uh should we just uh delve into the legal stuff now got anything yeah. else to say before okay okay our first question so we're talking about ahsoka tana's uh trial um in front of both the Jedi Council and later on the Republic Senate. Um, so Ahsoka's trial, specifically talking about the one in the Republic, has different rules in the Galactic Republic because, of course, they have a different code of law than the United States. How do you think Ahsoka's trial might play out under U.S. law? So... I don't think that the writers intended this, but there's actually a pretty strong parallel to what might happen to a military member if they uh, were accused of, of significant misconduct uh, that also violated um, just federal law. So it, it's best to think of Ahsoka because she, she actually is a military officer. She holds the rank of commander. She holds a spot in the, the uh, Grand Army of the Republic. So she's a GAR officer, presumably with a commission under the Republic, right? The Jedi Council happens to hold rank, but they they hold formal positions within that army. So think of it like you would any military officer. And because of that, uh, that's why you see... So her membership in the Jedi is sort of like this specialized uh, you know, cloak that's around her. Uh, just like a normal military member, if if uh, they commit misconduct or they're accused of it, they're going to first face judgment or justice on the military side. Usually what happens, so if, if uh, Ahsoka were a real-life officer and, and she was accused of this sort of thing, the military is going to do the first investigation, potentially in tandem with with civilian authorities. So that's where you see like Tandivo and the other... Uh, I guess he it's just an army of droids that investigates <laughs> alongside Inspector. Inspector Devo needs his own standalone movie, by the way. But maybe that's, maybe that's why he's so cranky is because he just all <laughs> works with droids all the time. He doesn't actually have anyone yeah, who cares the same amount. Yeah, that, that's another rant for another time. But um, yeah, so uh, it, it they capture that right, right? So there's, there's this investigation that's happening by the Republic and the Jedi are trying to get to the bottom of it as well. Um, and uh, the Jedi get the first crack because she's a she's a Jedi member. And just like uh, in in the real world, uh, say a federal prosecutor 
the U.S. Attorney's Office in that area of the, the where the military base is, uh, they're they're going to be interested in taking action. I mean, this is like a terrorist act, like a major one. Jedi are dead. Uh, clone troopers are dead, like big, big time case. So they're going to want to do it, but they're going to ha- let the military kind of lead the way. And at the end of the day, like the cynical side of it is um, the like a, a federal prosecutor's office is more than happy to let the military do the work and spend the resources and the time to prosecute. Occasionally, you'll have instances where they make a push and they want to take the case. So the Republic definitely had an interest here, but um, you, you saw the Jedi take the lead here. And what what happened was interesting because she didn't get court-martialed by the Jedi Order, right? There was that that last-minute sort of uh, plea and whatnot, and and so, but um, you know, Anakin makes that sort of uh, defiant stand uh, that was ultimately fruitless and she gets kicked out and that actually could happen in the real world so you can uh you can get in trouble you can be put on trial as a soldier that's called a court martial that's just a uh lots of people have an idea of what that might look like it is just a criminal trial with a military judge so a lawyer uh that that wears the robe up on the bench and then instead of a jury just made up of people like you and me over the age of 18 the jury is made up of senior military officers and enlisted personnel. So, so it's just a criminal trial completely within the military? Correct. Right. Um, so that there are rules about what evidence can come in. It is all self-contained. If you get convicted at a court-martial, it is a they are federal offenses, so it's a federal trial. Um, you know, It goes on your criminal record just like anything else. But you're going to go to a military prison. So in the army, that would be Fort uh, Fort Leavenworth, and the the United States Disciplinary Barracks are one of a handful of uh, naval brigs that are scattered around the United States. And so the the Jedi to start with had the option because uh, presumably they have their own code of justice, right? They had the option to prosecute her, do whatever they wanted to her, uh, to account for this conduct. For whatever reason, they decided and probably something to do with Anakin's plea. And, and uh, you know, I, I think there were some significant issues with Ahsoka's treatment. Um, they kick her out. So they kick her out and they toss her right over to the Republic to be to be handled. Uh, that can and does happen all the time so that the military can administratively kick you out, say, uh, we're not going to prosecute you. Uh, the civilians will. We'll let them handle that. Uh, but you're not going to be in uniform anymore. So that's where they strip her of all titles uh, related to her service in the the GAR. Uh, they strip her of her uh, Padawan status, and uh, she's gone. There's that like that great scene with uh, you know all the Jedi around the circle and Mace Windu being a real jerk, and uh, she's just down sitting in judgment. And um, yeah, that that happens routinely in the in the military they, oftentimes with crimes like these there'll be a conversation and sometimes the military for whatever reason uh is is going to hand off the case to the civilian authorities and say look we'll, we'll kick them out they're not going to be in uniform drawing a paycheck and getting benefits uh you guys handle it uh usually you see that um at, when i was on active duty in georgia we had a um just a terrible case where a couple soldiers uh, murdered a couple people, uh, a couple of fellow soldiers. Military could have handled that, and in, in one of the cases they did. 
but the balance of the cases were were handled by state prosecutors in Georgia and South Carolina. And so that what you see with Ahsoka is the, the Jedi making that decision, uh, the council really making the decision uh, to, to let the Republic handle it and kick her over. And in many cases for a soldier, that's that's probably going to be worse, uh, a worse fate because you're you're potentially exposed to a jury that doesn't understand anything. You know, she's going to be be uh, tried by and, and judged by people that don't know what it is to be a Jedi or anything. They don't know any of the people involved. Um, you know, if if I don't know what the, the Jedi jury looked like, but if somebody like Kenobi is allowed to sit in judgment of her, there's some history there, right? That, that's probably pretty favorable for Ahsoka, but she loses all that. And she has to get prosecuted by Tarkin, of all people. <laughs> Yeah, well, yes. that's, that's tough. I actually had to Google because I was rewatching the episode today just for a little bit more clarity about exactly what happens because it's been a little while. But um, I was like, why does Tarkin get to prosecute Ahsoka? And, and I looked it up and, it, and they were like, oh, because Palpatine said so. I'm like, oh, not that guy again. <laughs> I mean, when I was rewatching this in preparation, but it was pretty clear that Palpatine had a very good idea of how he want how he wanted the trial to, to turn out um, because clearly at this point he's realizing that the way he can get Anakin to turn to the dark side is by removing all the all the people from around him you know remove Ahsoka separate him from the Jedi separate him from Obi-Wan try and try and put Padme in danger yeah so yeah um, um, taking a taking a bit of a, of a step back if we're ready to uh, to move on to the next question go right in the beginning, you know, the Jedi Council have Ahsoka and Anakin ser serve as investigators. Now, in the real world, assuming that the Jedi are kind of equivalent to a, a military organization, let's say, because mm -hmm. it, it seems like that is pretty much at this point what they are, at least in conjunction with the GAR. Um, is that is that something that would happen where people within the same organization would be investigating? Or would there be, would, would there be a, a special group or, a, or an outside group? involved if something like that were to happen in the u.s military the jedi f like play such weird roles it, it's like one one day ahsoka is commanding troops on the battlefield and then an, the next day she's wearing an investigator's hat there's no this is like the genius of palpatine because it's like he knew their system and how they were just fundamentally ill-equipped to to deal with anything uh concerning a war and also like balancing all the craziness that happens with it and so I, you see that here because Ahsoka in 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 the real world, uh, right? They're they're investigating this bombing. To to a certain extent, they're uh, they have been witness to it. Uh, perhaps you would have a, a a military unit that's that's running down uh, a target or a lead on you know on a, on an attack. So if this happened in a war zone. Um, you know, maybe you have a military unit that's going after some some intelligence on the battlefield, something like that. Um, but so I guess it, like theoretically, the start of it with them going after and looking for uh, Jakar uh, Bomani uh, that, that or just like looking into his past. I think he was the technician that got blown up. And then his wife, uh, Letta Terman, I think is her name. Yeah. Um, the I did not watch the episode to prep. So this is like. <laughs> stuff rattling around in my head is like where the sickness part comes in um <laughs> the start of it i could see that kind of happening in some vein 
but the moment that they they kind of stumbled upon uh, a larger plot, right? The moment that they locate Letta and realize that there's something more afoot, that's the point at which that's the point at which the two of them should have called in authorities and really brought in uh, extra help. And to a certain extent, they did. They bring in Letta. They they uh, you know after a certain point, they get her uh, into a Republic facility. Um, but in the real world, it, each branch of service has their own uh, investigative body. So you've probably heard of NCIS, right? The Naval Criminal uh, Intelligence Service, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. that's a mix of uh, naval personnel, so so uniform personnel, and then what you see in the TV show, which is mostly civilians um, who work for it. The Army is the Criminal Investigative Division, CID for short. That's an equal mix. Um, a lot of more experienced soldiers that, that make the switch. They were doing some other job and they get trained up uh, as, you know, they're, they're pseudo FBI agents uh, to an extent. But uh, though those investigative bodies are the ones that are tapped, whether here in the U.S. or out on a battlefield, uh, they go out and they investigate crimes. So I, great example from the real world. I, you know, I was involved. In an, Af- in an investigation in Afghanistan about um, uh, use of force incident on a uh, Navy SEAL team in central Afghanistan. And I traveled out and patrolled out with a SEAL team uh, alongside a criminal investigator. So we're out at this uh, this small like village compound where the, the crime happened. And, you know, you've got Navy SEALs pulling security. Uh, you know, they're like they like they probably think they're Jedi Knights. Uh, is, is, <laughs> I know I, I know some seals, so like that, I, I have no problem saying that. That's not a knock on Navy seals. That's you know you got to have confidence in life sometimes. Uh, yeah. And then it's like me and the investigator going around and like looking at this stuff. So in reality, uh, what should have happened is an, an immediate call to, to uh, Republic investigators or whatnot get in there because at the end of the day they're in a crime scene. Like they they kind of realize that and put that together. But it's it's threatening the integrity of the case. They're trying to figure out who bombed the Jedi Temple. But in being in that in that house, in in interrogating the witness, in touching things, they are potentially contaminating the crime scene. And by that, I mean tainting evidence that either might not be usable anymore or at some point might not be admissible in court, uh, which could could all impact uh, justice being done. So Anakin kind of that's like a typical Anakin, right? Like, let's like this is my mission. I'm not going to worry about anything else. Like, th- this is the this is all I'm focused on and I don't care about any consequences. And Ahsoka sort of goes along with it. And then it all gets upturned uh, there in the, the uh, prison facility. Yeah, I think I, I think you bring up a really good point. Um, at a certain point, the Jedi, um, they, they, they kind of just become like bulls in a, in a China shop. Um, and and you know you 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 could argue that they they kind of have some good reasons that they are wary of you know having the republic the the military courts or whatever uh, get involved you know as we've seen in the Clone Wars how there's some malice there but they definitely yeah this is definitely an example of of a time when they definitely could have could have could have brought in some some outside expertise I think yeah. that, okay that Jacob you can go on your Jedi lost their way bender anytime you want <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> no, that you yeah. just described the entire war effort, right? Like it didn't yeah, take like, it, it wasn't some master plan by Palpatine as yeah. much as like I know the Jedi and I know how like short-sighted they are. Here, yeah. throw them a He's bone and watch just, them chase it. 
yeah, he's able to just the Jedi want to do it all, and he's able to Palpatine's able to just push and pull and and smush and squeeze the Jedi in all sorts of ways, and he just he just kind of makes them he kind of he just kind of makes the Jedi tie themselves into knots in the end, and that yeah, I think that that ends up being their undoing. Um, is that they they don't really mission mission creep, I guess, in a sense, you know, they just mm-hmm. don't really they don't have any boundaries. Then they want to do everything. Yeah, and they end up. And they don't want anybody questioning it either, because there's that great quote in *Revenge of the Sith* where uh, you know, Palp- or excuse me, Obi Wan and Anakin are going back and forth about Anakin's uh, assignment, or just they eventually get to Anakin's assignment to spy on Palpatine, and Obi Wan tells him, you know, the Council does not like it when Palpatine interferes in Jedi affairs and Jedi business. That that describes to a T one of their biggest problems that, that just sets the galaxy up to completely believe uh, that they pulled off this, this massive rebellion almost. And you see that here rather than uh, try to, you know, the Jedi temple has been attacked. Two Jedi have been killed. This is personal. And so rather than treat this like any other crime that, that would have occurred on Coruscant, uh, they they really dive in and it it just sucks two of their their finest members in and it very nearly tears uh, tears the order a serious tear in its its fundamental fabric. Yeah, it it's it's a massive moment in the Clone Wars. Absolutely no denying that. Um, it's it, it it's crazy watching it again to see how it, it's it's so much of a thrill ride. That arc is so much of a thrill ride. Um, now, we may have touched on this a bit earlier, but I guess um, you know, we see Tarkin seeking the death penalty for Ahsoka once she's disbarred, once she's barred from the Order, once she's kind of kicked out into a, a regular criminal trial with the Republic. Um, for, for, for a similar situation with someone in the U.S. military, is that a possibility or what, what, are, the, what, are, what, is the, what are the legal reper- repercussions like for something of that magnitude? Yeah, I think it'd absolutely be on the table. I, we call those capital trials, capital, capital punishment trials. being you know, the death penalty. They are rare in the military. Um, you know, crime obviously happens in uniform, but you, compared to the civilian side, you don't see major crimes as much. Like the rate of murder within the the military is exceptionally low. I mean, you know, that's why they those cases tend to make news when they happen. But capital trials can and do happen. Um, the I don't think the, the military hasn't executed anyone since the 50s, something like that. Um, so and and so there's not uh, there's not like a, a stock full military death row or anything like that at, at Leavenworth, um, nothing like that. But it is it is an option, and for for an attack like this. Uh, perpetrated by a jedi that killed multiple people i mean premeditated murder is as bad as it gets under either the military or the civilian law this is one where you go back to the 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 potential handoff in the case uh the jedi would take a look and say you know are we are we capable with what we have going on right now uh to 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 do this trial justice to to take this as a capital trial is it something that where the the civilians so the republic are they more likely to get a conviction than we are because of how our trials would run do they have more resources than we do and so it 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 doesn't surprise me at all that tarkin goes after the death penalty i I think that would be 
that'd be the starting point for any civilian trial as well. And they'd use that as a negotiating tactic. They, I mean, I, as a pro, as a military prosecutor, I all the time leaned on that maximum possible sentence. Um, I, I didn't have, I didn't personally prosecute a death penalty case, but, um, you know, when you, when you're sitting in those boots facing and, and I tell you, look, you're, I read out in court, you know, maximum possible punishment is 35 years confinement, uh, reduction to E1 dishonorable discharge. That starts to sit very, very heavy on you. You start to do that math when you're sitting in the defendant's seat and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be in my 60s or whatever by the time I get out of here. And that could be a powerful tool to drive a confession, to drive a plea bargain, a guilty plea, uh, what have you. And so, you know, there's a world in which that's exactly what Tarkin was doing. Let, let's bring the, yeah. the complete hammer down. They also have to set a lot. I mean, this is unprecedented, right? I, yeah. other than, I mean, you have some isolated examples of Jedi going bonkers and, and you know, murdering people. Pong Krell comes to mind. But, um, you know, this is this is unlike anything that that they've seen. So they're they're going to bring the hammer down as hard as they can to send a message not just to the jedi order and other jedi but to the republic as well okay that's interesting i get and a quick follow-up um before eli i know you have a another question i think um to that then um we see tarkin kind of maybe again as as that negotiating tactic to try and bring the hammer down suggests that there's separatist involvement and that ahsoka was in league obviously points out that she was working with Asajj Ventress, maybe she's in league with the separatists. If, if something like this has happened, and I don't know exactly what the closest real world, real world things in the US military that have happened like this, if something like this were to happen, some serious sedition treason mm -hmm. with an armed forces member, would that be, would that be something that would be looked into? Like, is this an instance of a, of a foreign adversary being involved or, or would that most likely do you think be just someone someone going off the the rails for some other reason yeah it it absolutely would be looked at and and there's the possibility that they tarkin is making those statements with the idea that asajj Ventress, if that's who he believes and that's that's probably the answer right if if he believes uh, and i think they, they had footage that and confirmed that that was uh that the two of them were allegedly working together so that's exactly where they were targeting. They could view Asajj as the bigger fish to say, that's who we want to prosecute. We're not going to let you off the hook. But if you turn state's evidence, if you if you come on board and as part of your plea, uh, agree to provide testimony, agree to uh, aid investigators and bring her to justice, we want to get her uh, very badly. And so maybe, maybe all we do is take the death penalty off the table. Maybe that's the, the, the deal. Or maybe we agree to, um, you know, a sentence cap where you'll be eligible for parole. That meaning an early release uh, if it's deemed appropriate, as opposed to life without parole where you're just stuck. So th that that kind of scenario happens all the time, not just in a um, in the context of like a sedition or a terrorist type type case. Uh, you you have seen that actively in in terrorist cases um, across the board where. The person that we have has information they're maybe not the highest link on the food chain but maybe we can use them still prosecute them still bring them to justice but use them to get at somebody uh higher that that's that's a classic tactic so it would no longer be about it no longer primary about the person who's actually on trial at that point potentially maybe that's what tarkin's thinking is 
how do we follow how do we follow the trail and, and see where it leads yeah i mean it's it's look we you have a right to to a trial you have a presumption of innocence ahsoka yeah fine if you want to stay cloaked in that and go to trial we'll do that and i will convict you or i will get you convicted i will prosecute this aggressively and i will go after the death penalty and i will not pull any stops in that or or you can help us you can face justice and maybe a lighter version of it and in doing so maybe you can redeem yourself a little bit and help the republic and the jedi order by bringing this massive fugitive whose biggest crime ever was helping kidnap uh rada the hutlet bigger than anything else she did but um bring her to justice in the process so yeah i that that's the not so subtle hint hint wink wink nod nod that he does that was a i was a bit of a hammer as a prosecutor and i i routinely use that tactic mm -hmm. um so yeah not on any jedi though <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, so eli i think you're yeah, you have absolutely. another question um so i was rewatching it uh, earlier today and i happened to come upon uh tarkin now tarkin seems to me uh absolutely not having much knowledge at all of the military trial process to be a bit hawkish on Ahsoka. He seems to go a little bit too far in some of his prosecution. Would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they don't seem to have really any rules uh, <laughs> about the trial. This is where, I don't know if like Filoni wrote the episode or, or like Gilroy, one of the, the frequent writers, but this is where they were just like, I've seen a couple legal movies. Let me just like bang something out. Like this is what Tarkin would say. Um, this is where it goes a little off the rails. You, you've got Padme defending, right? She's extremely intelligent, but not a lawyer. There are lawyers in the Star Wars universe that, that exists. Uh, they don't have anybody in this trial, though. And then you've got Tarkin, who um, you know doesn't have legal training, but he once like hacked into some pirates' hyperdrive and sent them into a sun. So uh, you've got kind of a classic prosecutor mold. But in the real world, in uh, you know, even in, I, I think you see a little bit of it in Star Wars. There are rules in play, right? There are rules in play for a reason, primarily, and most importantly, to ensure a fair trial, because we would rather, like, our system is built that we would rather somebody that is guilty uh, walk free, because the case wasn't prosecuted or investigated right, than we would somebody uh, that you know, corners get cut and an innocent person get sit in jail. And I, you know, the system is far from perfect uh, in, in the real world as it is in Star Wars. But you see the real issues with with those guardrails not being on. I, like Ahsoka gets railroaded. I mean, it just there is no. T and that's intentionally the way they wrote this. Yeah. And that's why Palpatine chose Tarkin for the job, because yeah. You know, he might as well have had a little conductor hat and a like <laughs> train whistle, like, yeah. choo choo, all aboard the train to the you know Republic prison and the death penalty. So uh, it, I, that was all intentional, but yeah, it, it, it's um, as a as an attorney, somebody who's tried cases, it's distressing to see Ahsoka. In this. And I'm a criminal defense attorney now, so my skin really crawls to see uh, somebody get treated like that. And there was that line I was looking at, um, specifically I was thinking of, where um, uh, Tarkin goes, and where is your master now? And Ahsoka says something like, he's out looking for the real killer. And then um, Tarkin says, well, maybe he should be looking for you. I'm like, 
He can't say that, can he? <laughs> he can't say that. <laughs> yeah, well, the the other thing is that, that one of the most fundamental protections in our system is the ability to stay silent, to not be compelled to give testimony and, and potentially incriminate yourself. So if Ahsoka wants to, to uh, testify on her own behalf, if she wants to speak to the court and to Tarkin, that's totally up to her, but she doesn't have to. Like a, a defendant in the military or in the civilian system, you don't have to put on a lick of evidence. You can let the prosecution go, present their case. You can immediately rest. So no witnesses, no evidence in trial. And you can still, unless they have met their burden, uh, proving you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, the jury must find you not guilty. Doesn't mean you're innocent, right? Doesn't mean you didn't do it. Uh, but it, you know, that burden is is very high for a reason. And the, the, the law doesn't force you to give them an assist because you see the danger. I mean, I like I should play this for some of my clients when they think about um, uh, talking because I still I'm a criminal defense attorney in the, the Army Reserve still. And you see the danger in, in speaking in this episode, because the moment that you want to offer any testimony, well, Tarkin gets his shot at you, too. You get to cross examine. That's a thing. And that's a massive, massive risk because you don't know what questions they're going to offer. And cross-examination is, uh, you know, it's it, it makes for good TV and good movies because you're that that's the prosecutor in this case telling you what the answer is, right? It's not, well, where were you on this day? It's me saying, hey, at three o'clock, you were in your car, weren't you? And that car was on uh, Main Street. And on Main Street, you were right in front of the Burger King. And that's the exact time at, at 3.50 where we have you pinned by GPS that that Burger King got robbed, isn't it? You know, you, you just lead them down the path. It's it's You're confirming the testimony that I'm giving. And so Tarkin is very good at needling her and sort of putting on the show that a prosecutor needs to do. But, you know, he's got some – the gloves are off, that's for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, this definitely, this definitely seems like a like a situation in which the right to remain silent probably would not be respected. And if Ahsoka chose to remain silent, a lot of people, it seems like from what we saw in this episode, would definitely be just like, "Oh well, then she's guilty yeah. if she's it not even trying to guilt. defend herself." Yeah. yeah. Let's let's just, let's say that Ahsoka chose to stay with the Jedi Order following her her acquittal. Um, mm -hmm. Now, outside of her being exonerated obviously from all the all the charges related to bombing the temple since she didn't do that what would she face assuming again you know u.s military a similar thing happened what would one face simply for what she did where she was you know fighting clone troopers running away from clone troopers ignoring anakin or yeah ignoring someone's request ignoring someone's order to turn herself mm -hmm. in like what would that in and of itself look like even after someone had been exonerated but maybe they were on the run a serious rap sheet um <laughs> in and of itself the whether it's like fleeing and evading arrest is is certainly a serious offense uh disobeying orders is an offense unique to the military i mean if if you know one of you uh you, like your teacher or your boss or something said do this and you don't do it 
you might get a bad grade, you might get fired or yelled at, but you're not going to get prosecuted. It's not the same thing. It's not the, not the same in the military. And it, it's all built on the fundamental principle that if soldiers aren't aren't required to follow orders of superiors, there is no system. There is no good order and discipline. Like the whole thing breaks down. And you can imagine what life would be like on the battlefield if if that weren't in place. So you've you've that's sort of the backbone of uh, the the military specific offenses, meaning that you know criminal offenses that are unique to the military. Um, and and the punishment for that, the maximum punishment, is pretty serious. I mean, you, it, it it's all tied to you know that the each case stands on its own two feet. But in this context. Uh, you know, she's potentially obstructing justice uh, by by running, by by failing to obey orders. She's putting those clone troopers at risk uh, and and causing the government to expend a tremendous amount of resources as they hunt her down. Uh, it, it, it's a really uh, very serious thing. Now, she did it for internally the right reasons, but being innocent of a crime and knowing in your heart of hearts she didn't do it doesn't entitle you to do all those things um again makes for a great episode i'm glad she ran because it's like awesome um watching them hunt her down and i think uh, what is it is it fox that finally catches her I don't know. i'm a big clone trooper nerd so uh any scene involving that sort of thing is awesome to me but uh yeah I mean, like that that's all really serious so the, the military could still or the jedi order in this case could still say got it you're you're innocent um and they could still prosecute her they could still put her out of the order just like the military could put you out for doing those things and it 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 has nothing to do with um you know whether you were right or wrong in in terms of your your intent um i think the the bigger picture here that she was falsely accused of a really horrendous act probably plays to her favor i mean if she's in front of a jury she's a pretty sympathetic defendant She's young. She's got a, a stellar combat record. Um, you know, I think about some of my clients that 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 I've had the uh, the, the the privilege of defending who were uh, combat veterans. I mean, I had a uh, one of one of my clients that, that had been wrongfully accused of some stuff uh, was a two time Purple Heart recipient. Uh, had wow. gotten two Purple Hearts within two weeks of each other. Was like barely recovered from one injury volunteers to to get back on a on a 50 cal on a humvee for a convoy uh, that was important and gets blown up again uh and and um you know gets seriously injured again and and that ended his time uh on that deployment but that defendant and his background i mean that was a powerful motive that was a powerful factor for us i mean he just sat there and you know the, I, the jedi don't wear uniforms with decorations but you know my guy sat there and you can literally look at his medals and he's got not one but two purple hearts on there and he, like ahsoka's got that kind of uh you know stature in terms of what she's done for the republic even at a young age so if I'm if I'm a military or if I'm a Jedi prosecutor, I'm thinking long and hard about whether it makes any sense to, to do, you know, do something serious in terms of uh, how to handle the case. And, and that's always sort of a behind the scenes thing, like how, you know, is this case worth prosecuting? Is this, does it make sense to do this? This is a, this is Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. She's been falsely accused of a really bad uh, act that was actually done by a much bigger fish uh, in in Beresofi. Um, do we? Does it really make sense to to 
to spend our time going after her when she was just trying to, to defend herself. So the answer yeah. might be they don't do anything to her. Do you think then if something similar happened, so you think then that, that um, Ahsoka might not then face too harsh consequences, if any, then give, given the circumstances for what she did. If, if something similar happened in the military, if someone was falsely accused, they were acquitted, but you know they still ran, caused a ruckus, disobeyed orders, re resisted arrest. Would they ever serve again, or do you think they'd be out of the? Military? I think she's. I think she's got a good shot. I mean, I would. I would be hard press. I. I would press hard as her attorney to try to get uh, get in the Jedi Council's ear to say, look, on bat, like, look at what she's done for the order. Look at the future that she has ahead of her. What lesson does this send to, to other Jedi, to other Padawans, to, to the Republic as a whole, if you still bring the hammer down on her? Like, you can make an example in, in different ways. Uh, th these lessons can be taught. Heck, I'm sure that Ahsoka would probably be the first to say, you know what, like, this could have been handled differently, maybe, but let's learn from this. I don't know. Um, there's a real world case, not not a fault, not one involving a false, um, somebody being falsely accused of, of everything. The uh, there was a, a very famous POW case in Afghanistan. The, the only service member who was uh, who had remained captured, um, Bo Bergdahl was his name. He he gets released in 2014, 2015 as part part of a prisoner swap deal. And he was immediately investigated and accused of walking off of his base in Afghanistan and joining the Taliban. So, he, you know, very serious accusations that he joins the Taliban. He's providing them intelligence and, and helping out on things that U.S. service members were killed trying to find him because he voluntarily walks off and joins the enemy. Just some, some really egregious things. Uh, his his side is that uh, he was trying to walk to another base to, to, to file a formal complaint because the the leadership in the atmosphere at his very small outpost was so toxic uh, that that it was you know he was being threatened effectively and that he immediately got captured by the Taliban he didn't join them and he suffered horrendous torture at their hands and uh, you know there was a lot of evidence to back up the fact that you know he never helped them out he he suffered pretty pretty horribly in captivity at the hands of the Taliban and so the military prosecuted him they went forward w with a trial uh and uh you know he was found guilty of walking off the base but there were a lot of those same sort of factors that were at play that would be at play with ahsoka uh just that you know in his case a lot of really tear-jerking uh you know information and evidence about how he was mistreated uh by the taliban and and what the physical and emotional abuse he endured and torture and you know he got off you know he still got punished uh but not anything he didn't get convicted of anything uh concerning joining the taliban or fighting for them nothing like that uh but you know arguably he got off with a pretty minor punishment all told and i, I think you would see the same thing with ahsoka and my point if i'm if i'm a jedi in on the decision making i say what what the juice isn't worth the squeeze on this you're going to go through this massive uh, muscle movement, this investigation, the trial, all of this, 
and any two any jedi with with their head screwed on straight is going to be like what are we doing here no she's not going to get any serious punishment and we're, the order is going to have a black eye uh on the back end and she's going to walk off um probably dis even more disillusioned than she already is so yeah i i, I would be arguing hard to to just let, let's just find a calmer way to deal with this yeah yeah well, that, that is very interesting. That is definitely not what I was expecting to hear. So, so thank you for that. Definitely I used to be, I used to be a prosecution hack. Now yeah. I'm, that is definitely I'm like not force. what my, I'm in balance. That's definitely not what my preconceptions <laughs> about the military would have, would have led me to believe something like that would have been handled. So that is, that is, that is very, very interesting. Um, Eli, uh, you have another, yeah, we have one absolutely I do. Um, my final question pertaining to this arc, specifically from a legal perspective, is... Um, so, the arc, of course, went down like it did. Specifically, that episode, The Wrong Jedi, went down like it did. If you were to write a similar kind of episode for this, what would you... What legal actions were not taken, what legal formalities were not done that you would have been interested in seeing for this trial? I would love to see her get assigned... I would love to see, like, the like Jedi Jag... That sounds probably real dumb to most people, but real cool to me. Um, <laughs> like a Jedi, a Jedi who's kind of specialized in legal affairs, right? We see Jedi do like all they have. Uh, they have uh, medical specialists. They have uh, folks like Joe Costa New that specialize in like research and uh, archiving and that sort of thing. They have to have uh, Jedi that that specialize in in legal matters. I think like the, a good analogy is the the Catholic Church, uh, when priests internally are accused of of certain things, they have uh, an entire religious code called canon law, and there are canon lawyers. That doesn't these are priests that are trained in canon law. They're not licensed attorneys who go out and practice law in your local courthouse. But they can they can represent priests and advise priests in in sort of Catholic like religious internal matters. I would love to see something like that for the Jedi, like some you know a Jedi that that uh, comes in and consults her. Like I'm I'm envisioning like you know Tara Sanube, that old Jedi with the cane lightsaber, like somebody like that, like real crusty, like but like an experience. Like all he's done, he hadn't done many lightsaber fights uh, lately, but he has like. Guns, uh, been, been a gunslinger in the Jedi courtroom. Somebody like that to come in and, and uh, really work the case with her. Sort of like a true legal drama uh, where you know he believes in her or she for that matter if it's a, a female uh, representing and and you see it from their internal perspective uh, fighting the system like that. So that would be, that'd be how I'd write it. I, I would take a, a Star Wars legal drama like that in a heartbeat. But Lucasfilm doesn't return my calls, so <laughs> that, would be, that would be very um, interesting to see. Yeah, I, I'm pulling back into the dark recesses of my Star Wars brain from what, one of the maybe four or five Legends novels I've read. Um, there's a lawyer who's not a Jedi specifically, but does work for the Jedi. I'm not sure if either of you have heard. Probably you have, Jacob, because I know I gave you this book um, uh, from the Fate of the Jedi series, uh, Nawari Ven. Oh, who yeah. was a lawyer who worked for the Good Jedi point. and yeah thank you so much I was like <laughs> I'm like I think that's his name uh who worked for the Jedi and who was seemingly defending them in matters again like in canon that they could not win um yeah. the, man I just realized the Jedi, uh Jacob I think the Jedi just need 
a whole overhaul. Jacob's been pushing for the Jedi to get a better PR team for a few months now <laughs> in the galaxy. The Jedi yeah, need a better legal team as well, apparently. They just need a better everything, honestly. Yeah. The Jedi just need... The Jedi... The, like, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody that they crumbled. Um... <laughs> Now, I want to get out of the uh, legal analysis for a second, uh, and I want to ask, um, what is your, as a fan, as a Star War, as a huge Star Wars fan, what's your opinion of Sark? How, how, what do you like about Sark? What do you dislike about the Sark? How do you feel about the Sark? This is one of my favorite of all, the entire Clone Wars. If, if I were to, to show somebody uh, or try to point them in the direction of a couple episodes to, to give you a feel for the Clone Wars... Um, this would be among my first episodes. Obviously, you don't you don't get the the sort of classic like war action, but you do get the the chase, which is great. But it shows so much about why the series and why these characters are so amazing in it. Um, it it happened at a time in the series when they had found their stride and were just like, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking about the other arcs in that that season, and it's just like hit after hit after hit. Uh, and and I believe this was the final three episodes of the season, so it it ended that way. You're like seeing Ahsoka walk off and Anakin stand there, and I'm just I'm hearing the music in my head right now, and like trying not to cry a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> so it's just are so, we all? It's such a payoff moment, but not a payoff in the way that you think it's going to be for for however long you've been watching the show. So it's it's one of those that just speaks to sort of Filoni and the rest of the creative team's plan for the series and for Ahsoka in particular. Absolutely. Um, in the episode, we'll get into a lot more of our thoughts on this. But yeah, I, I adore this arc as well. I think Jacob's probably the bigger fan than me, but that's not like saying I hate it or anything. I love it. I think, Jake, I think this is like one of your favorite arcs, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Oh yeah, um, I, I definitely yeah. am a big yeah. a big fan of this arc. As as hard as it is, as hard as it is to rewatch, one it's one of those moments where you know what's gonna happen, but you're like, no, no, yeah. let it be different this time, please, don't don't yeah. rewatch this again. It's 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 definitely yeah. an experience to watch. Um, should we get to our interview questions? Yeah, let's let's get to some. Uh, Little little lighter questions. Thank you so much for your insight. I definitely uh, absolutely. I definitely I definitely learned a lot. So thank you. Um, absolutely, we really valued your insight in a lot of the ways with the system and uh, analyzing this episode from perhaps a different uh, standpoint that we've ever done on in a galaxy before. But let's get to some uh, fun Star Wars questions we have. Uh, this is totally totally not pressure free. You're going to be under so much pressure. Uh, <laughs> I'm more worried about I'm this than anything analyzing a Soga's trial. I'm joking. Uh, no, only the last question means anything to anyone, and even if it means anything to anyone, it's going to mean something to three people: me, Jacob, and Devor from a larger view of the Force. If you don't take his side, then I think he might be a little annoyed. But that's fine. He Fair can enough. he can deal with it. He's had dozens of people before not take his side, so he can he can deal. Thomas, what are your favorite Star Wars trilogy? I have a strong pull to the OT just because that's that's where it all started for me. In fact, I have like the first VHS box set that finally got me off the bootleg copies sitting uh, to my left. But I have to say, the at a time when I thought I would not get any new Star Wars, and at a particular point in my life uh, that that was really tough, like I got 
like mercilessly bullied as a kid um in particular because i like star wars um it just middle school and high school uh, the first little bit of high probably the first two years of high school before i met um some close friends that i still have now were sucky to say the least um probably an understatement but the prequel trilogy kind of hit at that time and that was star wars had always been sort of a refuge for me but the prequel trilogy in particular being able to go to the theater to look forward to new content to like get the star wars insider magazine and like see like you know shots of new star wars being made uh that that was like a real safe harbor for me at, at a really tough point in my life and so um i get particularly defensive about the prequels and and how i feel about them because of that and and i you know i owe a lot to those movies and and so i think i'll always have just about as strong a connection as i do to the ot with those because of it all right i just heard all of the prequel fans out there going i love the republic i I love democracy (laughs) i love the republic (laughs) <laughs> anytime anything goes their way just automatic right. um i have uh, to say who's your favorite star wars character if you if you can pick just one it's got to be darth vader as he sits behind me choking for <laughs> captain antilles that the audio listeners can't can't see um no vader i i spoke about that moment where he first comes on leia's ship in a new hope just the epitome of badass like just he like doesn't give uh two f's about anything um except for finding skywalker and i've i've really really enjoyed in particular the the new canon content with him like the charles sewell um sort of mini well mini 25 uh, 25 issues of a comics not many but like <laughs> the the sewell vader stuff has been phenomenal um, I would like drink Rogue One if they blended it up and put it into a bottle uh, <laughs> in that last scene in particular. Um, in fact, uh, Kate Mulligan, for those that follow the, the Schmodown out there, General Mulligan, just watched Rogue One for the first time not too long ago. And she, She's never she texted me. Wow. She had never seen it. She t- she, and she was watching it to help uh, you know, prep me for some studying. And she texted me and she was like, what? all caps, like, why did you never tell me about the Vader scene? I was like, how do you not know about the Vader scene? Like everybody, <laughs> you could be like living in Timbuktu and know about the Vader scene in Rogue One. So, yeah, he, I've uh, I've always had just like a real strong, uh, just love of that character, as evil as he is before his redemption. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to I want to add on a quick point um, that I think is pretty cool. Um, Eli, actually, we watched um, we watched Rogue One in the theaters when it came out together, and I actually remember sitting next to Eli and during the Vader scene. I just remember, you know, I remember you just say, yes, 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 under your breath. I, uh, I, yes, I, yes, yes. Little, little, little spoiler about that movie for me. I'm not the biggest fan of Rogue One. I like it, it's great, but it's not one of my favorites. But then that scene came on and I'm like, what movie am I watching? Oh my God, this is crazy. Oh my God, oh wow. I didn't know what to think. Um, uh, and it was, it was a nuts experience. Speaking of the Star Wars movies, um, what is your Star Wars movie ranking? If you don't have a specific ranking, you can tell us a top five or just your favorite or something like that. But you know, yeah, it's a Star Wars fan's favorite pastime. So 
<laughs> oh yeah, I my, my I don't rank. I what I do is I I would categorize it in terms of uh, if I've got. 15 or 20 minutes to, to, to just sit down and watch, like pop out my phone and watch what am I more likely to put on like a chunk of, and, uh, it shifts all the time. It shifted during the, the Schmodown, uh, and my experience watching these movies here. So, uh, it, it's always fluid with me, but pretty persistently, my top five would, would probably include return of the Jedi, uh, the last Jedi, um, Revenge of the Sith and Phantom Menace are like they they jockey uh, with each other because um, I love them uh, both very dearly for different reasons. Um, so we'll count that as one because they at any point could be switched. Um, I'll put Rogue One in there, and then from the sequel trilogy, I'll I already had Last Jedi. Let's see here. Um, I actually really I like Solo. A lot of people don't like Solo. I think Solo is like a fun like popcorn Star Wars movie and like you give me 15 minutes and I'll watch the the train heist scene and be a happy clam like uh, you know I'd be perfectly fine <laughs> yeah. with that. But I just there are people like rankings imply that you like things less than others and I just um that's just not the case with me. Like you can call me a shill or whatever, but I and and I'm perfectly fine with folks that that genuinely don't like things. Um in with you know within the star wars universe that's just not me i i totally agree with you there like look i think um full disclosure i do i do have a ranking attack of the clones is my 12th favorite star wars movie it's not my least favorite it's my 12th favorite i like things about it that last 30 minutes is incredible it's like it's it's one of the best sequences in the prequel trilogy there are other things i'm not huge fans of but um but yeah, I, uh, I I do like that idea of like trying to find the good in everything, and I, I appreciate that um, sort of analysis of it. I think Jacob, you got your next one. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of of Star Wars media, Star Wars projects of any type, books, mm-hmm. comics, TV shows, what is your favorite piece of of Star Wars that is not a movie that you think people are overlooking or missing out on? Man, I th- I think the comics don't get enough love. I I say with full disclosure, I am way behind. Usually on a normal year, a non schmodown year, when I'm uh, like actively prepping for Dragon Con, I consume every piece of Star Wars media that's out there. That's gotten increasingly increasingly difficult. I have two kids that are like three and and younger, so that's like you can imagine that's like th- the tiny nugget of free time that I have. But um. I the the comics are something. There's so many just uh, like insulated short uh, runs of stories that are so good that enhance the the characters that they're about. That I would point people towards. Where you know if somebody says I'm really intimidated by the you know 50 books that are out there that have come out since 2015, I'd say, well, you know how you know how would you do with like 25 issues of a comic that are you can read in in probably a week if you're if you're reading a couple issues a day that's a little bit easier to to bite off and so it's like the 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 lando miniseries like the five issue run that they did uh telling his story or uh, i really enjoyed there's like a one-off cassian and and k2 issue that that explained how they met 
um, the Vader uh, series that I've mentioned, individual arcs. The, the main Star Wars uh, comic is like probably close to issue 100 now, but they've had individual stories told within it. And they've just been really, really good. Not all of them have been stuff that I would like point people towards or read again, but some of it's just so good. And it, there's like such connective tissue to, to some of the bigger stories. Like I, I read the Vader uh, series and then I go back and watch Empire or New Hope, Empire and Jedi in a completely different light. And that's to me, that's the measure of a good Star Wars story. If it's within the existing universe and it causes me to go consume media in a different way or look at it in a different light that's a good story in my book and there are a lot of those in the comics yeah i would i, I would second that get involved with a good comic run i'm currently um so uh this is actually tying into the next question we're gonna ask you um but uh so i have a little bit of an obsession jacob may or may not know this uh i have a little <laughs> bit of an obsession with um ochi of festoon so you're saying that uh, I definitely, definitely know too much about this. <laughs> yes. Um, and so when I found out he was being added to Greg Pak's Vader comic, I'm like, okay, I'm jumping on board this train. And um, I'm like, oh, Ochi will go be gone within an arc. But I'm enjoying this so much um, that I'm going to keep going with this. And then they kept doing Ochi. I'm like, okay, this is getting real now. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, the Darth Vader comic right now, I think it's, it's picking up a good run. And I absolutely would recommend to anybody... Um, you know, picking up whether it's a High Republic related comic or a, you know, and anything from you know Lando that you mentioned to uh, Rise of Kylo Ren, mm -hmm. pulling through my head. Um, speaking of unnecessarily uh, short-lived characters, uh, I think a lot of people in Star Wars have their their background characters that they really love. Uh, what's your favorite Star Wars background character? He shouldn't be a background character, but. I love uh, I love Dutch John Vander. Uh, he got a little bit of love in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, he was in a, a handful of episodes there. But uh, any any pilot who has the the gumption to hop into a Y wing and have that sort of like vision and clarity for what the best starfighter model is is uh, <laughs> not just a hero but a uh, a genius in my mind. So. Uh, Dutch is great. I love his line in the briefing room where he's like, what good are snub fighters against that? Like, come on, man. Like, you're the squadron leader. Don't be saying something like that in front of all your guys. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you should be like, heck yeah, let's go get this, this thing. We're like, yeah. What is your favorite alien species in Star Wars? Favorite alien race or just the coolest? Hmm. That's a great question. I always thought I'm a big Cad Bane fan, and I always thought Duros were just a cool look. It was like a a Star Wars version of your typical uh, at the time it, when when A New Hope came out, your typical alien creature. Like no other aliens looked like anything that anybody had seen before, except if you paused on the cantina scene and and look back and you see the two Duros that are talking to each other. They kind of look like the big headed like little eyed aliens that, that have existed in pop culture for forever. But man, Cad Bane really sent it home. Like Duros had just sort of been like background characters across the board. And then Cad Bane comes along and I'm like, where can I get a Duros costume? Like this would be really cool to like cosplay as Cad Bane. Cause he's just uh, like such a cool cat. Um, and, and somebody that like where other people have redeeming qualities or, 
you know, maybe they, they find s some good in the universe and they, they attach to that and they say, maybe I can be a better person. Cad Bane doesn't care about any of that. <laughs> he just cares about cash and getting jobs done, getting his notoriety uh, and his rep up. And so I have to I have to appreciate that. So if Duros can provide a character like Cad Bane, they, they get a top ranking in my book. Absolutely, and we see that more of that in the recent Bad Batch. Um, yes. Uh, and I... I don't know about you, I was like, when, because I'm not a huge Cad Bane fan, and I'm like, when Cad Bane uh, dropped on that episode, what was that, Reunion, uh, I just sat there, and I was like, they're, they're doing this in the first season? <laughs> right. Whoa, 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 Clone Wars, we haven't seen this guy in eight years. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, uh, next question. Uh, what is your favorite Star Wars planet? Hmm. I have to say, let's see here. I'm trying to think of um, the planet that uh, that Reclam Station is on. It's just a gas giant, and this is where my trivia brain. I think it is it Wien, creeks. Is it Wien Kathu, perhaps. I just looked it up. Um, Yarma. Yarma, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's this is this is showing my uh, I skipped Dragon Con for a year and I can't pull Yarma. Um, yeah, there's nothing valuable on Yarma. It looks like just like one big fart cloud, but it does have uh, the facility that gave the Rebellion its first batch of Y wings. So Reclam Station and I guess by extension Yarma will always hold a special place on uh, in my heart. Honestly, I I was always a big. Um, fleet junkie the starfighters have have always been like an extension of that so uh we haven't seen uh i'm trying to think if we saw it in battle uh battlefront kuat uh and and by extension kuat drive yards where a lot of the star destroyers are made uh i that that was my favorite planet growing up that i like never saw on screen but like desperately wanted to see star destroyers getting made little did i know that in if i just flash forward and waited a few years You'd get to see that at least on Corellia uh, in Solo, but yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, uh, this is so random. I love how you um, randomly pluck the one Rebels quote that's constantly in my mind. I don't know why, um, but anytime I so show somebody something in my mind, is always circulating. I give to you Reclam Station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one of those lines, Hondo man. J Jacob's been harping on me about for a while about like, oh, Hondo's great. Hondo's great man. Hondo and is I'm awesome. Like, Hondo gets you. Hondo gets you somewhere. Sometimes. Uh, go ahead. So, if you lived in the Star Wars universe, what would you want your your job to be? I would. <laughs> this is gonna sound like seedy. I would have like a crummy little like law office at Moss Eisley, and I would cater my law practice to whoever scum and villainy, uh, upstanding citizens like Cobb Vanth. You got a legal problem, uh, that's fine. You need to draw up a quick contract so you can transport uh, an old man, a farm boy, two droids, and have no questions asked, I'm your guy. You get a DUI on your old creaky speeder, I'm your guy. Uh, you know, what, whatever the trouble you've run into is, uh, sort of like one of these, you, you watch an old Western and there's like, you know, the, the storefront, you get your bank, uh, your sheriff's office, uh, the, the grizzled old attorney that somehow chose to go out to North Dakota and practice law in the Badlands, you know, uh, 
I think that'd be fun. I so say you're, you're fun, just, and then I'd be there yeah. and be like, "What the heck was I thinking?" But you're just taking all you're, you're taking all comers. If they can pay, yeah. it doesn't matter. That's right. Yeah, I'm not I would say where the credits came from. Yeah, I would say Tatooine is probably the best place to do one of these things because, as we've seen multiple times in Star Wars, everything happens on Tatooine. Yeah, yeah. It, Have you it, been injured in a do back accident? Yeah, you may be entitled to compensation. Have John the Hutt's goons taken out a little too much action on you? You know where to go. Um, uh, okay. Um, well, I'm sure you know the famous behind-the-scenes quote um, from George Lucas uh, that um, some people uh, quote too often. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's like poetry. You know, they rhyme every stanza, so to rhyme to the last. Hopefully it'll work. Uh, what is your favorite example of this in Star Wars? There are so many. It does not have to be from the movies. Um... That's a that's a really great question. Um, in particular, I think Ezra's journey has a lot of echo, probably very intentional echoes to, to Luke's, although from a, a different angle. And, and by extension, uh, Kanan's uh, journey into to sort of re-embracing his role as a Jedi. I, I think Kanan is like a sort of a, a shadow of Obi-Wan in, in different ways. Obi-Wan, uh, you know, unfortunately found himself, his way uh, unintentionally out of the Jedi Order in sort of similar circumstances to, to Kanan's. Uh, you know, Kanan had to experience it as a kid watching his master get gunned down uh, while Anakin or Obi-Wan had to watch uh, his best friend and and his apprentice uh, turned to the dark side before his very eyes, and then uh, Obi Wan, you know, leapt back into action, had no problem kind of answering the call again after doing his duty to to look over Luke. It was a lot harder for for Kanan to come back uh, full circle, and and so you see see a, a a version of that. And once he does, he realizes, much like Obi Wan did with Anakin, that being a master is not. Uh, not always the easiest thing um imparting those lessons that in many cases you never learned fully uh and being looked to and relied upon as a leader is uh is not easy in any any situation they they, they experience that that arc in very different ways nice yeah that's if a, you're talking to rebels, that's that's, that's all him. <laughs> I, mean, I look, I'm a huge fan of rebels, but Jacob is a is a huge fan of rebels. So good. I, yeah, I mean, you know, you 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 have your original trilogy kids, your prequel trilogy kids. I'm a rebels kid. That was the first part of Star Wars. I was old enough. I was I was watching it as it came out. I just I just that's had awesome. such had such love for, for that show, and I will I, I will defend rebels no matter what. <laughs> I will be in the trenches right with you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't say enough good things about Rebels. It just warm, it just warm, it's such a heartwarming show. Um, I, okay, I do tend to invite a lot of guests on here who like like Rebels to the amount that you do, Jacob. Yeah. I'm just realizing this. I know it's great. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. Um, so second to last question. Um, it's kind of a this is kind of a fun one that I like to I like to fantasize about sometimes. If you could take one technological item or or one force power from star wars into the real world and use it whenever you want what would it be and why that's a really good question as well 
I think it'd be awesome to have um, repulsive lift technology. It's used in such a variety of ways. I mean, the, the land speeders immediately come to mind. I think about like how much cooler I would have been in high school if I had had like a land speeder, like it could oh, yeah. be beat up as, as beat up as my first car was. But if it was floating and you just rolled up and you're like, sup? Yeah, uh, I'd at least that. have been, yeah, well, I'd have been marginally cooler. I don't know uh, that my life would have turned out any differently, but I would have <laughs> felt cooler internally than my like beat up old Mazda that I drove around. Um, but yeah, so probably repulsive, but like that, that technology has so many different uses. I feel like, um, you know, whether it's the ability to have like a, a you know, something like a, a low altitude uh, assault transport, the lat gunships or, or, you know, really anything else. It's such a versatile technology that you could have some cool stuff with it. Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, you know who this character is because I know you've watched this movie like all the other um, 11 Star Wars movies. I uh, Probably 10 fazillion times this post as in The Rise of Skywalker. I think I, I did that right. But anyway, um, she, she, she's one of our favorites. We've gone through this with many guests on In a Galaxy. Look, it wasn't her fault that they used a decoy. She hit the ship. Um, uh, and I want you, you to pronounce, uh, give me your pronunciation of her name. Uh, I'm sharing the screen right now. Who is this? Zam Wessel. Cool. Great. Devor, <laughs> that's like our 11th one on the list. When are you finally going to accept the reality that is the situation? How does he that pronounce is? it? Wazell. See, that's where, you know, he's not fluent in uh, in Zolan and that, you know, the, 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 you know, the Claudite language. That, the that's, you know, it's understandable. It's understandable. <laughs> not everybody can pronounce Claudite names uh, with, with precision, but you I'm heard sure it here she first. correct you. <laughs> yeah. um, well, actually, she might even correct herself because um, we did a episode on the Legends, now Legends video game Bounty Hunter. Mm-hmm. And she does pronounce it in the game Zam Wazell. You which know, is we weird. call that a continuity error that yeah. was never yeah. caught in Especially place. because on the official Wikipedia page, it says, yeah, do whatever, either one can go. Yeah. Tomato tomato. Uh, yeah. Um but You're dead either I th- way. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Zam, not Zam. Uh it, it she's become like I gotta say, I'm not sure, Jacob, if you're like this, but like she's become like my second favorite background character now, just because of how much we've talked about her on this show. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah, thank you for listening to this episode of Star Wars in the Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars that we can get our hands on. Uh, Thomas, do you want to plug all of your stuff? Sure. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the most creative name uh, on that platform at Thomas L Harper. That's L as in Lee. And uh, you can find me normally screaming about Y wings or something trivia related. I don't know. Uh, I have I I still podcast for the Legal Geeks. We typically will bring Star Wars stuff online as new uh, new film content comes out. So we'll have a special series for Book of Boba Fett at the end of December. We'll do like a weekly episode where we cover each episode and the legal issues in it. Uh, we've done. Uh, look at the legal issues in like the Bad Batch and both seasons of The Mandalorian. It's always a lot of fun. And then uh, I'm also on the Joint Geeks of Staff, which is a national security and sci-fi podcast 
where I'm one of the co-hosts, uh, probably the least qualified co-host on there. It's like a State Department Foreign Service officer, uh, an F-15 uh, weapon system officer with like 3,000 hours of flight time, like a bunch of which is combat flight time. Um, let's see here. A PhD, uh, two PhD candidates. Uh, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of uh, big brains that are really, really smart about stuff, smarter than I am. But we're all big nerds and we talk about the uh, issues that, that straddle the line sort of like here between sci-fi and national security. So this past uh, week we did, we explored censuses in uh, sci-fi and like it sounds boring, but actually got into a talk about like why if Palpatine had used a census, he might have been able to better manipulate the galaxy to his whims. Um, and uh, we'll have a special episode covering Dune coming up, the the new film. So yeah, you can find that at the Joint Geeks, and the Legal Geeks is at the Legal Geeks on Twitter, and both are on iTunes. So yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Like I get to nerd oh, out about Star Wars and get to talk a little law. Like my dream come true. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> absolutely, for... this has been a blast for us as well. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on once again. Yeah, I just. I learned so much um, from from all the knowledge that you've had to share. Um, oh, good. So thank you, thank you so much for for taking some time out of your uh, your busy day with with I know with your your young children. You probably uh. Now they're asleep right now, so okay. this is this is my time. All right, this is your time. Well, <laughs> that, that is delightful to hear. This um, is great. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much for uh, coming on again. Uh, you can find us in the galaxy at in the galaxy pod on Twitter at Star Wars in the Galaxy Pod on Instagram. You can find our show at uh, Anchor on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast. We will probably be there. Um, and uh, you can email us at slunagalaxy at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star review and rating uh, if you can. It is It really helps our, our visibility. And um, I think until next time, may the Force be with you. Always.